This, listeners, is the Punk Theology Podcast. Well, they say that punk rock has died away. I don't believe a word they say. Sing for tomorrow, sing for today. We all need a little punk rock and roll. The world needs a little punk rock and roll. Oh yeah, hate to interrupt that. That is the Street Dogs punk rock band from Boston. And this you are experiencing now is episode 24. You are listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. I would be your host, Russ Shaw. We're missing Chuck this week, but in Chuck's place, Jim Henderson friend of mine joins the punk theology crew of theologians in this episode hey check out our new writing project on the punktheology.com website it's called punk scratch if you're a little more of a reader than a listener you'll want to check that out this week jim henderson our guest joins uh john arthur Derek, Steve, and myself take on hacking on this episode. Hey, uh, that that button over there, over to the to the left, to the right. If you could just go ahead and scratch that down a little, subscribe that subscribe button right there. Get it right. Ah, oh, that feels much better. We all need a little punk rock and roll Tonight we're gonna drink and tonight we'll smoke Forget about our problems, put the world on hold We all need a little punk rock and roll I want that good feeling, push and shove I want that good feeling, burning in my blood I want that good feeling, love the open road I want that good feeling, none of those get Stay up all night Got my friends and my music, yeah, we're feeling alright Gonna stay up all night Gonna live before we Ministry is a trigger word. What is, yeah, ministry is a trigger word. It really is a trigger word. It triggered Arthur. I was talking about having this. Don't call it that. Are we talking about the band? We're talking about the band ministry. I love that band. So, the first thing I heard of you was you bought some dude's soul on eBay and you made national news. It was in the Wall Street Journal. Tell us that story a little bit, Jim. I love that. That's outside the box thinking right there. Yeah, well, if this thing's real, you know, we're supposed to be doing this, should it be this weird, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. And so this is something that fascinates me and is uh, sobering. And one, you start counting sort of your life when you realize it, the attempt to actually engage in a system, like how it moves us around, you know, and we participate in it mindlessly. And and then people are people. Some people are consciously using it on us. A lot of people are unconsciously using it on us. They right. just don't even know because they're in it. Yeah, we, we grew up with this. This is how you follow God. Yeah. You go into this and you do this. There's a system of formula. Yes, yeah. yes. And and what I realized was at 45, 50 years old that uh, it doesn't work. So many of us are in the same place 
in dealing with how life didn't work before, and even in a lot of ways how the stereotypical evangelical model of being spiritual worked. Yeah. And so, kind of like John was sharing with you before we came here, we, we were friends at one time a long time ago, uh, while we were both in that model of, of the way the world worked, and I was still a Christian, and then we came out on, in different places uh, on the other side of that, but a lot of our thinking is still the same about what we went through. Yeah, the church <laughs> so, yeah. totally deserves judgment. Well, within the system, relationships often yeah. exist to reinforce the system. Right. And, and so that real word on the flip side is, like, like a lot of people use the term atheist as opposed to agnostic. Like, they're the ones that are, like, really uh, right, committed and sure right. that they're right. Certainly. I'm not. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is the God I followed for years sure as hell doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And Jim Henderson on Punk Theology has <laughs> joined us up here in the Northland, up in Everett. Thanks for being on, Jim. How you, how you doing, man? <laughs> hey, Jim. Hey, it's great to meet you guys. <laughs> Honored to be sitting around the table and doing what we're doing. Yeah. Drinking and smoking cigars. <laughs> That's right. I rarely get the opportunity. Do you want a cigar? So, no, actually, I don't. But I'm, this is fun. That's great. I'm, You're going to smoke. I hope there's somebody. <laughs> 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 You're going to make me drink that stuff your lips and make me smoke that stuff. <laughs> yeah. In the hopes that I die in my sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, That's a great way to so start. So, before Jim, before Jim showed up, the, uh, the, the whole thing caught on fire. So, this is the first night. That uh, Derek's uh, stove was lit, and, and it, it did got, not go it got well. a little bit uh, got a little bit smoky in here. And not like a wood smoky, like a <laughs> plastic smoky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got we ironed it all out, and, uh, and we're back here. We're recording. This might be our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> man, I bet you say that every time. No, no, I'm thinking you say that every time. <laughs> we aired the garage out. We aired the, the garage out so that we can inhale these healthy cigars. That's right. <laughs> So we're not breathing paint fumes Jim or plastic anymore. He's not used to such luxury accommodations. Yeah. No, this is high end right here. <laughs> Derek's garage. So I wanted to introduce you a little bit. You are one of the most interesting people I know. And when it comes to when you you said you were doing this project called Hack the Ministry, I'm like, oh. That's really interesting about my friend Jim because that's all he's been doing ever since I've known him. Like, you've been hacking the ministry. Like, the first thing I heard of you was you bought some dude's soul on eBay and you made national news. It was in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, tell us that story a little bit, Jim. I love that. that well, that's outside-the-box thinking right there. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, these things come out of desperation, right? You just, you just didn't... I was uh, bored. I was pastoring. I was bored, and I was. I was. I've always been interested in trying to help people know Jesus. I, I suck as an evangelist, and and I didn't like the way that people did that whole business. I thought it was weird, and uh, but I was still intrigued by the idea of like, how do you help people know Jesus, right? And so I just was unrelenting and trying to figure that out. But mostly, I approached it like a sociology project where. Where it's like, why is everybody so uncomfortable about this? I'm asking a rhetorical question because I'm uncomfortable with it. And the person that said, Derek, I know why everybody's uncomfortable, but I wanted to actually talk to people and get them on the record about why they were uncomfortable. 
So maybe we could, you know, cut through this stuff and figure out is yeah. So I just out of desperation started uh, uh, paying people to come to church and critiquing because I had a little church. I couldn't grow a church because I because of who I am. It becomes pretty clear quickly. Yeah. And you're you know, in I'm Seattle. I'm going to gather a large crowd, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so I decided to pay people to come. And then somebody heard about that. Wait, wait, you paid people? <laughs> yeah, so imagine... You paid atheists. So I just this, I just read business books, and I thought, they pay people like focus groups and secret shoppers, and mm-hmm. I thought, why don't we do this? We tell these people, like, we walk around like we're in the most important fucking mission, you know, in the world, right? right. This is it. Everybody loves saying that. Like, you can have a church of three people, and you must say worldwide ministry on the sign. <laughs> you know, you, you got to save people from hell. Yeah, exactly. So there's, hell. there's a so lot you, of people. You got to save them. So, <laughs> right. so anyway, there's uh, all that was interesting to me. And uh, yes, I paid people. I give some, you know, kids that I meet 25 bucks, come and write a survey. And I thought it was funny personally. <laughs> I just thought, I thought, I just thought this is funny. You know, this is a funny thing. Like I enjoy it. Yeah. Why don't we just do this? What's wrong with this? Cheaper than the idea, like ever. Like, wait, it only takes money to get people to show up to church. Exactly. We've been fucking doing it wrong. Exactly. Why are we doing it backwards? For twenty-five bucks, come for free. Yeah, for twenty-five bucks, you get somebody to show up for an hour, take notes, pay attention, and they, it's all very serious, right? I just promised them I would not draw attention to them or follow up with them. Here's the pitch. So you're telling me you don't want to pay people to come to church? Don't you think their soul is worth $25? Exactly. <laughs> what Christian says no to that? Exactly. Right. But you can do it for a building. How much you pay me for mine? Well, I'll tell you what I did. Then I then I ended up, this atheist was selling a soul on eBay. This is about 10 years ago now. I can't believe it's still a thing. I can't believe more people haven't done this. And I can't believe people still care. Well, anyway. We're talking about it today. So yeah, Arthur's our resident You atheist. offered my soul. Okay, so, so, so this, guy, this guy was a student at... Uh, at uh, DePaul University, and his basic thing was, I know you want to convert me, so he went on eBay because he was trying to raise money for an atheist support group, right? Like Young Life or something like that for atheists, right? No, I'm serious. And I thought, okay, I get it. You, th- good for you. I think. So so I, I find out this guy's legit. You know, it's not a joke. He, and he said, I'll go to church for every $10 you bid. I'll go to church for a church service. I thought, dude, you have never been to church. <laughs> Twenty-five. <laughs> Wait, you're only for ten. Right. Deal. So anyway, we get in the bidding on this thing, which which was fun in itself. And the bid goes, the bid goes up, and I had some people coaching me about. What was the so, bid at when you became aware? Well, it started at ten. I I started right at the beginning, oh, okay. and then I wrote it, and I kept thinking. I asked the guy I was working with, "Do we have a marketing budget?" He said, "No, but I have a Visa card, so let's do that." <laughs> I said, okay. What's our limit? He said, "Like five hundred bucks." I said, "Okay, let's go." So we. Uh, we got in, and then right when you get down to the last 30 seconds, you know, it's sitting right at close to 500 bucks, right? And so this is when the action starts. You know, the, the players start bidding right at that point. I don't know anything about this. And so, but you can reserve a number, you know, unbeknownst to the other people, and so and push it really fast. And so I had reserved $504 because somebody came in with a few cents, no. like 500 bucks. I push it on 504 It's like I was like, <laughs> looking like I'm in the, I'm uh, falling out of bounds at the three point line. I'm Boom, switch. <laughs> you got it. So then uh, I fly out to Chicago, and around the same time, uh, the Wall Street Journal heard heard about this because of the internet, and um, and some Al Gore, 
And so, we, uh, and they sent a reporter in, and we converged, and I put a new deal together with this guy because I didn't want to send him to 50 churches, right? Because he would just be torment. You know, yeah. I mean, no Christian would go to 50 churches. They'd go crazy. You'd stop being a Christian, honest to God. If you had to go to 50 churches quickly, there's no way you'd be a Christian by the end of it. There's just no way. So, yeah. So, which is not a bad idea, but anyway. So this guy, I said, go to 10, go to 10 churches and let's write for 50,000 people. And he said, okay, deal. So we did that. And that we formed a community online. So I was completely and utterly bored with the argument stuff. Like, are you an atheist? Yes. Or something? Somewhere like, okay. okay, so like, it'd be like, It'd be like us going, I'm a Christian, you're an atheist, and you say, well, you know this, and we go down, and well, have you read this? And they say, look at all this shit's been written about. Do you yeah. know that there are people smarter than you and me yeah. who have actually thought about this and written about it? And like, go read their books. You know, I read their, I don't want to do this again. Like, wh- I'm more interested in like, how did you, why do you find it interesting that, what's in it for you? Like it's being an atheist. No, I, I adopt the... Uh I adopt the condescending atheist model where I don't care if you exactly. believe in God. That's good. But that's because that's how I was on the Christian side, too. Exactly. Like, I don't care if you don't believe in God. I mean, I'll tell you about him, but... Fuck you if you're stupid enough to not God must not love you. Exactly. That's all I can go about. predestination. So, I, was, yeah. I can tell. I was a Presbyterian. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway... I was chosen, then I got unchosen. I was yeah. like a bad day at the playground. <laughs> so that's how I got involved in that. So yeah, so that got in the Wall Street Journal. And Didn't Hamid Mehta write a book? Yes. Is that the guy? Hamid Mehta. So Hamid, I'm glad you know his name. Hamid Mehta. Now here's a back I have his book. I haven't read it, but I read his book. Uh, 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 I, I saw my soul in Eat it. It, yeah. I gave him that title, by the way. So <laughs> I said, "Dude, you need to write a book called I Sold My Soul and Eat because if you don't, I'm going to." Wow! And so, and I said, "And also, you should call yourself a friendly atheist because this is what nobody's expecting, right? You can mark yourself." Is that so? This is the guy. That's him. Well, yeah. he was the guy wow. I bought because the backstory what is. A great- I live in India. Blog. He's a great blogger. He's a great yeah, writer. Yeah, yeah. He's I've great. read those. You've shared them. Yeah. And he's very. He's stuck with it. The guy is stuck Extremely with articulate. it. Extremely articulate. Yeah. And so he. Uh, <laughs> He ended up, he's from India, his family's from uh, India. I spent time in India, I always wanted to live in India. He has a background in Jainism. Jainism, that's right. And so he, uh, so I have a kind of a, a, a thing, I can kind of get a read on guys from India, uh-huh. if they're legit or not. And so when I got on the phone with him, I thought, this guy's for real. I've worked with guys like this, and I, I would have spent my whole life with guys, I found people like that. I would, if I had my choice, I would have lived in India. So oh, wow. I kind of had a connection with him, you know. You never worked uh, in IT. No, I didn't. No, you didn't. I did. But that when I was in India in 1998, and before telephone lines were working over there, <laughs> the internet was there. And I told my wife, I said, you know, if telephone lines worked here, they'd kick our asses right now. These people are smart. They were smart. 98. And so, so uh, yeah. So Hemet did the. We did the book, but the public, the publisher. What happened with Hemet? The oh, the, the the book deal. They they tried to steamroll him. Uh, the publisher wanted to do a deal, and he's like an atheist with Christians. Like, well, you people are going to rip me off. And so it's like, and like, and I'm trying to protect him from these people. And I said, I could see the deals falling apart. I said, dude, let's just call it good. Thank you, you know. Uh, and uh, so then I went off to buy a new atheist. So basically, that's what I did. I got it. I did a book called Jimmy Casper to Church. Yeah. And I hired Casper. another atheist out of out of uh, San Diego. <laughs> and so then we did the kind of church review thing. We went into churches and did secret review. Uh, why these churches suck, or you know, mm. once in a while they were okay, but you did know. you get like a certificate of soul or anything? <laughs> well, Hammett actually owned his soul technically, but as an atheist, as you know, uh, they don't actually have souls, so it's kind of like a, <laughs> it's a scam, actually. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was saying if I bought it, I would eat it, and then I could call myself Eric the Soul Eater, <laughs> which would be pretty cool on my business card. We're good on a resume. I think if I put enough money down, him, it would let me say that. <laughs> Jim the Soul Eater. That has a nice tone to it. Yeah, sometimes you show up and I say, remember him, and I own your soul, so don't mess around. I can always come out. <laughs> Yeah, so that I got involved in that world, and it just, I'm, I've been curious about outsider. I've been, the out, people that are outside of the thing we're inside of, you know, I'm always curious about <clears throat> why aren't we, why are we having these so many issues about with people, who's in and who's out, and all that kind of stuff. So it's always interested me. I don't know why. Uh, so yeah, on the hacking side, it's been, I didn't know that word. You know, I mean, for that word, uh, it, we in the 80s and 90s, we use the word st- being strategic. You know, hacking is the word now people use to like, that's, that, and it's like there was punk a time rock where, strategic. Yeah, you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't even use strategy in, in the 70s. You couldn't talk about we're going to be strategic in church. That'd be like unspiritual. Right. And now it's like everybody's got to be strategic, right? So, so I just decided to do this thing, this one day thing that's coming up. It's called Hack the Ministry because I thought, you know, this is screwed up. I mean, so, and I want to try and get people that are younger in, in, basically what I would do is say, you know, I, at least 10 years of my life was wasted chasing dreams, other people's dreams for me. At least 10 years. That is fucked up as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And right yeah. on, the 10 years. And I think, you know what, I understand about learning and all that, but I wonder why didn't somebody like intervene on me? Somebody like saw me. And realized, you know, this probably is not your game, Jim, being a pastor. Because right. I sucked at it. I mean, honestly, I did it for 25 years, but I wasn't good at it. Because, you have, anyway, that I'm not a bad... all forms of education, though. Unfortunately, they you know, yes. I spent a lot of time in school with people that were starting to be engineers. And like, yeah. yeah, like, the school's not going to tell you because they're keeping getting your money. That's totally right. But they, if everybody in this room knows yeah. that you're not going to make it. Right. So, what, but most people don't get their mind changed by something like that. No, but yeah. there's a, but what I wanted is yeah. a, no, they're not going to get their, no, we're too, we're too arrogant at that point, of course, to listen. But I would like at least the memory of somebody trying. Right. Like, I would like that personally. I, I think that, especially inside of the, this world, the church world, that we we hold a higher more, we we claim to hire the whole uh, higher moral ground and all that. It's like it's just why are we like? Why do we just like everyone else? Why is it okay? It's not okay to me. If I'm going to follow Jesus, there's got to be a reason about the way I'm doing it that matters. Different than like I could just be anywhere else. I'm I'm totally into the Jesus thing because there's a it has a, a, a it's coherent for me right for me maybe it's he's my imaginary friend you know but for me <laughs> you know it's coherent yeah. and so uh, John, John and I can't I can't tolerate being you know I'm part of this but it's okay if other people screw around with it that doesn't work for me that is not going to happen yeah. and so I'm going to like raise my hand and say no <clears throat> what, so decade, what decade was that where you said you were following other people's dreams was that your thirties twenties yeah definitely thirties and forties oh yeah. to forties yeah because I I got saved. I was 21, I was not raised in church, which is large, very, how many of you guys were raised in church? I mean, evangelical church. Yeah. Me, I wasn't. It makes a total difference. I know, right? Because you're cult- enculturated and you have much deeper feelings about it than I do. I can say, fuck it. You know, it's in like, your DNA. I was raised around that. music, around entertainment and stuff like that. So I, I'm more, I have an affinity for that world than I do the church world. I have no, I don't, you know, I don't care about, I, I have no loyalty to church. I have Where did no that loyalty. pastor thing come from? That's a curious thing for me. Because when you're in the ministry, like. you're in church, that's the kind of the next thing you go do if you really mean it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've had the same observation. My wife became a nun. She was a Catholic because if you really oh, mean it, that's really? what you do next. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's what you do. 
right? If you really mean it. If you're serious. Oh yeah, if you really make the sacrifice, you know. So we do. Go to varsity. I I spent a year in Bible college for similar reasons. It's like you know, if you're serious, that's what you're going to do. Exactly. And you're there, and there's just a bunch of people with bad theology and delusions of grandeur. And yeah. It's kind of terrifying. Big like egos. these people are going to be pastors. These yeah. Darky kids from Oregon. What? You know? Yeah. Yeah. What am I doing here? Wait a minute. So you're also yeah. a musician. You're like the the Seattle version of the most interesting man in the world, right? That, oh. That's a lot of that. You've got all this this stuff going on. So you you, you grew know, up I, everything he just said ignored. <laughs> now let's move on. So the, that uh, the musician. So you're also in a, like a jazz. I'm band? a musician. I basically identify myself as a musician. That's how I think about life. That's how I do things. I work with ideas like the music. Yeah. I don't. I play in bands sometimes now when I can afford to get it organized and all that. But <laughs> I mostly think use ideas are like music to me. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and so it's very interesting. And music is a hacking uh, business. Like for example, I, one of the things I'm gonna do at Hack the Ministry is do a, do a, a small bit on. I'm gonna interview three drummers because I'm trying to hack into this whole concept of career, pastor career, like. I didn't remember signing up for a career. Like when I said yes to Jesus, it wasn't like, oh, now I have a job. And as a check, I'm like, what is that? There's a resume. So I didn't grow up around that, so I had no imagination for it. You know, I was giving up something, you know, to like join. It wasn't like a thing to go look forward to. I was losing. You know, at that point, Bono wasn't born. So like if you're into music, you quit. That's your only people option. People actually look forward to being pastors? <laughs> yeah, some people grow up like, they, they do. Yeah. They look up like, a, that's the big thing to become. Yeah. What an yeah. honor it is. Yeah, the call of God, etc. Yeah, John's gonna go on. So the no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I had a big rant last week. Uh, it, was, it was cool. Though. It was good. It was good to watch. I felt bad. <laughs> I don't know if it's for public. But it was that triggered? Like you were triggered by pastors, and you were like, "Oh my, why do these fucking people like have to stand up there and be like?" Well, it was, but it was good. It, it was, was a good like question for me to ask. Like, where does that pastor thing come from? And I can identify with what he's saying. Yeah. It's that well, if you're serious, you're gonna this yeah. devote your whole life to the ministry, yeah. and that makes a little bit more sense to me than kind of the narcissism or the um, proselytizing that I tend to... That, that's the stuff that tends to trigger me now at this sure. point. See, I got, a, I got a friend that I, I met with last week, and he's moving to Mexico to try to adopt some kids from down there. And if you know anything about that, like kids from Mexico don't get adopted by American parents. Like, that's not a thing. You're going to make him go sell chiclets and stuff? But <laughs> he's hacking the system down there. He's, to make yeah, he's Mexican. He's going to move down there for, for two years to make this happen. But but he's been, he was telling me how lately he's just been wrestling with this whole idea of, well, if I'm really serious about Jesus, you know, why aren't I talking to every person I meet and every yeah, interaction exactly. all the time, 100%. And he's like quoting some guy who's like, Healing people on YouTube on the streets of right. like U.S. cities. Yes, and um, we can't find them, unfortunately. And I remember, <laughs> and I remember wrestling with that uh, that question myself when I was 18 years old, right before I too went to Bible college. Spent two years there before I realized, uh, uh-uh, not me. I continued being a Christian. I just didn't right. think I was meant for ministry. I'm like, okay, you all talk about having this call thing. I don't have this call. I just right. logic my way into. Well, this is what I would do if I was really serious and. I'm not down with this. So I left. Um, but he's wrestling with this much later in life. He's already got a couple kids. He's going to get four more. His, his wife are going to have another. And he's telling me, like, I really have to, like, figure out what I'm going to do with my wife for God, my life 
for God. And all I can think is, dude, you're going to have seven kids. All you're going to do for the next 20 years is <laughs> be a dad. Kids. That's right. <laughs> you won't have time to do anything else. So it doesn't matter what you decide. And it's as though that's not totally. enough. It's so that's not enough to be a father. Yeah. You know, you have to do more for yeah. the kingdom. Oh, kingdom building. Man. That's that's right. Well, Derek and I had a conversation just this weekend where he posed a question I thought was, was good and insightful. Is, you know, what if, you know, your 20s, maybe going into your 30s, is just the time to kind of buy into a system. Like that's the time in your life where you're just a part of a system because it makes sense and it, it's the way it's you exciting. make sense in the world. It's exciting. It's you meeting that. something bigger than you. It's, and, yeah. it's better than not having any direction. And right. Yeah, it feels like adventure. Yeah. You get a real paycheck and, for the first time and that feels really good. And, and some people, not not everyone, I, I might say unfortunately, although I, I, I don't want to project... But my temptation is to say, unfortunately, some people don't get out of that. But if you're going to get out of it, it's usually going to be in midlife where the system doesn't work for you anymore. Yeah, and right. you start yeah. asking different questions. Yeah. And I think that's a space that a lot of us occupy yeah. here. Yeah. Some of what you do <clears throat> also influenced me in, in starting this project. Because of because of some of your work and, and some of the work I've been doing with addicts for years. So I've been doing a podcast for 12 years. Um, on the topic of addiction, and it wasn't so much a I got to save people for Jesus as, oh shit, I wanted to die and now I don't want to die anymore. That's kind of cool. I'd like to tell other people about that, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's how that that thing kept rolling, and people started listening to it by the thousands. And I started getting emails, and oh. you know, I'm just this what I'm a Uber Lyft driver from Seattle. Like who the fuck am I? But something I was saying just just telling my story was making a difference and I started to realize through studying social psychology and also you and the uh, the no joke project I found really interesting and and that's on episode four of this podcast if you want to go into that deeper (laughs) dive back into that but anyway what what that was was deep archives (laughs) deep archives Um, one left what I found really interesting about what you were talking about is something that's happening in treating addiction today, where there's neurologists and scientists who are saying, let's take this word addiction and throw it out completely and start using words like bonding and connection. And there's these brain chemicals, this chemistry, dopamine, oxytocin, mm-hmm. these, these, these chemicals that happen in this room as we listen to each other's stories. Right. And when people don't get that... Chemicals, drugs like heroin, yeah. oxycotton, mm. these this stuff gets into the mind and creates a bond or a connection that right. can't be broken at will. That's what addiction is. Also, in sexual addiction, they're talking about throwing that word out completely because that's never been a thing in the DSM. Like mm-hmm. that's never been a you know not. you just yeah still not. But they're starting to use words like um, intimacy disorder. Like, here's someone who didn't know how to connect or doesn't know how to connect with the opposite sex or the same sex, for that matter, and and are making these unhealthy connections with technology right. because it doesn't reject them. You right. know, it's like a it's like a fake relationship with a screen. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you throw in some evolutionary biology in there and guys are trying to impregnate a screen. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. trying to fertilize that Screen's sucker. Got titties. <laughs> <laughs> they probably yeah, aren't right. But there's something, and we laugh. But that was that was a big part of my life, and it just about killed me because I felt like I just I was so out of control in my behavior, and I was just about ready to to, uh, to, to kill yourself. myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because I couldn't stop on my own. I was I was really close to taking my own life. Yeah. Before my, I would rather that happen than my wife find out. About my behavior, yeah. You know? So, so that's why I, my paths cross with you because I find this really interesting. This, you know, why is it that we we tend to otherize others? I love you. You came up with that word. It's not really a word, but it's great. Uh, other people. <laughs> why do we otherize? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's quite. Well it's, it is a word in social psychology. I hear yeah. social psychologists kind of throw yeah. that around. Yeah, it's popular right now. <laughs> that word, the other, is used a lot, and it's it basically goes back to this old. Indian, you know, little story about uh, don't don't judge another person until you've walked a mile in their moccasins. Mm -hmm. That's that's the other in a nutshell. So I'm interested why you're at the table, Steve. He doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Steve, tell me why you at the table. No, I. For me, well, your story is so so familiar to me. Church shit 101 happened to me when we met mm-hmm. at uh, the church that we go and mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the beginning, and there's been about four others since then. Mm-hmm. That that I was uh, encouraged to follow God into the ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pastor of the church that I started going to when I first met Jesus in high school, that was kind of like his sign of, of success was his kids in his youth group or kids in his church are going into ministry. Right. I never questioned him. Right. Four years of college. Uh, best part of it was I met my wife there. Right. But got to a point of my, in my late 40s, early 50s where the, the, where the shit just quit working. Yeah. And I, I finally admitted it. Uh, it never was working. It never was working, but I finally became yeah. aware of it. And yeah. if I had, somebody had took me back then yeah. when we first met yeah. and said, but see, that was my sense of worth, sense of value, was that's where I am. And now I am, our, our, gosh, you're sharing that just kind of gives me goosebumps because that's what I want to do. I mean, I love Jesus. Right. I just don't love all the shit that goes with it. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm reading a book, uh, I don't know if you've read it, Tim Timmons Sr. called Jesus Plus Nothing. Okay. Yeah. It's an awesome, awesome book for me because he's saying, we don't, it's Jesus. Right. Right. We don't need the church. Yeah. We don't need, and that's where you know Russ and I met through um, a fallout from, from Mark Hill. Mark Hill, yeah, uh, <laughs> at a small church. Yeah. Um, I'm still there. Russ has moved on, but right. I Russ was instrumental in my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm here because of Russ. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the guy's not with us tonight, Chuck. He grew up in the CMA church as well in Pittsburgh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he's in the same boat. Yeah, we, we grew up with this. This is how you follow God. Yeah. You go into this and you do this. There's a system, a formula. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and what I realized was at 45, 50 years old, that uh, it doesn't work. So I'm curious about why you stay at the table, having hearing people talk this way. You know about our imaginary friend Jesus. Why? <laughs> why it's you? You know, respectfully. Why you respectfully? Sustain a relationship. What's what you know? Because you've appeared. I mean, based on what you told me, have you know decided that's not my thing? 
you know, intellectually and in your psychologically, it's like, why why do you like these guys? Well, first of all, we don't always talk about Jesus. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to bring, damn, I hate I bring that up so often. Shoot. Should we talk about sex? Uh, Let's get back to sex too. and pornography. We talk about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> then it's more relevant. <laughs> now, so the... No, that's good. Okay, all right. That's, uh, that's, all right. We've talked about this a little bit before. I'm, 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 okay, anyway, back to I'm this. encountering Arthur as he's answering your question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Months You're later. you his story. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So many of us are in the same place in dealing with how life didn't work before, and even, in a lot of ways, how the stereotypical uh, evangelical model of being spiritual worked. Yeah. And so kind of like John was sharing with you before we came here, we, we were friends at one time a long time ago, uh, while we were both in that model of, of the way the world worked, and I was still a Christian, and then we came out on in different places uh, on the other side of that, but a lot of our thinking is still the same about what we went through. Yeah. And um and I'm not really worried about like like a lot of people use the term atheist as opposed to agnostic like they're the ones that are like really uh, right, committed and sure right. that they're right Certainly. I'm not yeah um, yeah I get it that's cool and, and but what I do know is the God I followed for years sure as hell doesn't exist exactly yeah, yeah. thank God yeah right <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah I remember you said that too it was one of, the, one of the interviews I did with you where you were talking about you kind of landed the plane with if that God exists, I'm in that God's hell. Exactly, <laughs> totally. If that God exists, when, just the fact we're even having this conversation, if that God is all-knowing, cognizant, we're all screwed. I mean, totally. Yeah. If, if, you know, so it's just the whole thing, the, the system, you know, we, when you're talking, man. Steve, about he's a dick, <laughs> totally, right? Yeah. And so the John whole thing you're talking about is like we all get caught up in this system yeah. and then we become a victim of the system. This, this is something that fascinates me and is... Uh, sobering and want you start counting sort of your life when you realize the attempt to actually engage in a system like how it moves us around you know and we participate in it mindlessly and and then people are people some people are consciously using it on us a lot of people are unconsciously using it on us. they just don't even know because they're in it yeah but how about if you actually stood on site and said this system is fucked i mean this right. cannot be this cannot be real i mean that god is just John's phrase has been, I can't believe a God who's a bigger asshole than I am. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the, the other part of it, too, is that um, the word you said, real, really resonates in that as I was exiting and, and went through a lot of trauma at the hand of the church, within the church, by church members, by family, I mean, mm -hmm. I went through five years of, like, just hell. Yeah. Um, and I realized that, that as people kind of dropped out of my life, um, from within that construct, I realized we were never really close. We were never right. really That's real. So even, though, even though I was this guy who, I was an ordained deacon right. uh, in the PCA. I had been organizing and getting guys to go up into the mountains for men retreat, men's retreats every summer for the same church. I went to the same church for 17 years. Wow. Um, they just kind of all dropped away. And... Did and, anybody and, and try and try and that he was going through some shit. Did too. anybody try and like, connect with you? Yeah. Barely. And, and not, usually, not, once they heard really what was going on, they just ran away. Exactly. So okay. um, they, they, 
the best way I can describe uh, the church environment I was in for both what my wife, who is is still of faith, and and I, because she stayed longer and, and got shit on even more. Um, well, she did. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, is that they weren't equipped to handle? And I'm like, okay, if, if you guys are right, and your and your God is big, and your and totally. your Holy Spirit's powerful, totally. Then why the hell do you go running from someone who's going through a lot of shit? Because you literally don't have space in your life for right. it. Right. Exactly. Uh, you you don't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with it. Right. Your God isn't big enough. Right. I mean, whatever. We should totally be judged for that. The church <laughs> so, yeah. totally deserves judgment. Well, within the system, relationships often exist to reinforce the system. Right. And, and so that real word on the flip side is, these guys don't pull any punches with right. me, with themselves. Right. And so I have conversations that are way better than I used to. And yeah. and I can be real, and they don't care. And right. I, yeah. Yeah. in turn, give them shit, and they don't care. And right. Well, there's a sincere affection and friendship, I would say. Like, I have more in common with Arthur, and I identify as a Christian, albeit right. one with... It has my faith in an open hand very right. much, and I have questions. And quite frankly, I identify as a Christian because I was raised that way, yeah. probably, if I'm intellectually honest. But right. I'm also... There's something in me that's hardwired for it, I think. Just as kind of a sensory-feeling yeah. person that kind of senses there's something else beyond me yeah. and it has a Jesus-y type flavor to it because right. that's where I was born in North right. America and who my parents were but right. that's still there like that's a real faith dynamic that I have but the way I ask questions and the way I approach life I probably more in common with Arthur than I mm-hmm. do with the average pew sitting you know yeah, exactly. it's, it's just the stage of life that we're in is in a similar place yeah. and none of us are trying to convince each other that you know, someone's wrong. Like, or why do right, we? But. Why do we not want to know what's real? I mean, you know, like, why do we not want to know? Like, if this is real, why do I not not want to know that? Why are some questions off yeah, like, limits? Why, why it can't, seems like why? What, what's going on that, like, especially I'm claiming, like, I'm following God, like the only one true God that ever existed. This is what I actually believe, and so uh, based on that, if that's true. Then why would I not want to know what's real? What am I afraid of? What I think, I I, of I think th- there's the fear that. You can't prove it. No, you no, you can't prove it. <laughs> so, exactly. so, so therefore, how real is it? You know, you just need his imaginary friend, and you yeah, right. <laughs> and that resonates with me. I, 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 it's funny you say that. I, I use that term often. You know, like it could be. Well, I, you know where you see that most. All the Sunday school young children Sunday school versions of Old Testament stories. Hmm. We, yeah, right. we teach all these kids these horrific stories. <laughs> Here's right. a beautiful picture no, of no Noah's Ark. Where everybody on the yeah. planet dies. Yeah. dies. Yeah. Horribly. Here's Arthur's version. Of, <laughs> let, me, let me do Arthur's version of Noah's Ark. So everyone was bad, and God was mad at them. There was one righteous man named Noah. Bad and enough. He, wait, and even though God always from the beginning had this plan for Jesus sitting in his back pocket, it wasn't time yet. So he decided it wasn't time to send Jesus and save everyone. It was time to kill them all. So he sent a giant flood and saved one dude. So his major plan was to kill everyone, and his minor side project was Noah. But all we talk about is the faithfulness of Noah. He had the rainbow, though. He promised. Right. And we cut out felt animals in twos and give them to children and tell them that story. It was a good story for PETA, though, because he saved a lot of animals. (laughs) Just like the humans. Exactly. I mean, look what's going on now. Airplanes are coming in for that. Dinosaurs didn't fit. And with Job, I'm like, I'm Job's friends. I'm like, Dude, you were faithful, and <laughs> your life is shit now. Like, everything's been taken yeah. from you. Curse God and die is absolutely the right move. Joe's <laughs> yeah. like, not a real person. That's a bullshit story. Like, everybody else is like, uh-huh. Yeah, no, I did something wrong, because I am fucked. I need to check out. Yeah. 
But see, those stories. But you die the, in your sleep. Well, you're talking about number one punches. You die in your sleep. But you're this, dude, your life is fucked. You should just end it. I mean, that, those guys are doing exactly what you told them to do, Jim. Like, be real. Good point. There is no explanation for what's happening to you, Job. Check out. But in, in asking that question, what are people afraid of? I think one thing I've realized, and I think a lot of us here have, is that what we've called Christianity, what we've called faith, is really more akin to a certainty addiction. Yeah. And that's, you right. really realize how fundamentalism and evangelicalism really are one and the same in a lot of exactly. ways. It's just, it's just, exactly. Because we, we don't like mystery, we don't like uncertainty, we want to know the truth, and right. we want to stand on it, and yeah. we want foundations. But yeah. that's not the way the world works. That's not the way the God thing works. It's, it's a constant dance with mystery and tension and uncertainty. And to love, yeah. and, to, and to choose to love in the midst of that uncertainty, you get sea legs when that starts to... That's right. When, so that goes to that analogy that Chuck and I have gone through a couple of times, is like religion, the way we do it in the States, it's kind of like the analogy of being at port uh, and having your anchor down, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're fixing into something solid and you're not going anywhere and you've got all these support structures, which is great when you're at port. Mm-hmm. But if you're out in open sea and a storm hits you, the worst thing you can do is drop anchor. Mm-hmm. Like, do not do that. You need to learn to just kind of go with it, go with the waves, and the mm-hmm. more you resist, the more life is just going to tear you into pieces. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good analogy. The church, we're all, okay, all going to stay in port. We're going to push the others out right. and create our own port and create our own safety, and we're all going to anchor in. Does that feel to you like a description of what's going on today? Yeah. yeah. Churches yeah. responding? Yeah. So there's like 33,000 registered denominations of Christianity in, in the yes, registered. Yeah. So everybody's got their own port, <laughs> and they're circling the boat. And then, you know, and somebody goes out and says, hey, I've been exploring the world a little bit, right? There's all this other cool stuff, and it's great if you just kind of let go. Mm-hmm. And they're like, fuck that. Like, that sounds terrifying. Like, we're mm-hmm. just going to stay here. Like, you know, well, what about Bob? Like, Bob like had to go out and his boat's all tore up. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. a storm came and ripped him. And was like, well, I guess Bob's just going to have to figure that shit out for himself. Because <laughs> I'm not going out there. <laughs> so, That's scary out there. Yeah. Bob came limping back after the storm. His sails all tore up and we kicked his ass back out and told him to go find a different port. Yeah. Like, yeah like, <laughs> and that's cool. Yeah. That's a really good amount. But that's something that St. Paul was shipping too. <laughs> something that Arthur brought up about the Job story, for example, is also. So I've been criticized, even doing this podcast, by. You know, and it, and it, it was a triggery thing. I heard a guy say this in, on a podcast. He said, uh, you know, we need, to, we need to steward our spiritual authority well. Which just made me want to just what did, go what super translate it sounded what to you translated that Rain it in. translate that I got to hold my one. anchor right like yeah. like 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 Derek just said that what that translated to me says no I got to hold my position yeah. and stay in this area right. and fuck everyone else who right. might be struggling with um, a yeah. hard life a hard marriage yeah. an addiction um, depression anxiety. You know, they're just... No, no, no. They're just name, don't name the big one. Questions of faith. Yeah. Questions of yeah. faith. Yeah. Yeah. Pat answers don't work. And and, yeah. and, and that's something... Um, that's not what Rob Bell said that about, um, about consciousness. Like, institutions, systems and institutions are into self-preservation. Yep. So yep. when right. you start to expand in consciousness, and the only way that happens is asking really hard questions. Yep. So you start asking the hard questions, that's when that 
toothpaste starts getting squeezed out of the tube that ain't going back in that tube, right? And so when those kinds of things happen, that's like that anchor analogy. It's a great analogy because that guy, oh, he's outside of our little system, so he needs to be tossed overboard or whatever because we have to, the self-preservation of the system has to hold. But that's not how life works. And people grow up and get older and life gets difficult and you start asking tough questions. In the real world, we should be able to ask those questions. And even if there isn't answers for them. So something you, uh, was it you or Paul Young that said, uh, one really good question is is greater than 10,000 answers. That's Paul. That's Paul. I think another, I mean, so Back to more analogies. Another one that we, Arthur and I have engaged a little bit with is the concept of drowning. And that everybody in, the, in a lot of churches uh, just barely has their head above water. Yeah. And the water's rising. And, but they're all pretending yeah. that they're doing great. And everybody's so, pretending. So, so I, I love the phrase, the victorious Christian life. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that one. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Tell me what you mean by they're drowning. What do you, what's your perception like, of what's going on? Like, this is supposed to work in accordance with the system that we've been taught. And it's not fucking working. Right. And and I've got like well, am we, I, no, I think I think the thing is they, they lie to themselves and think that's visually working. working. Right. Yeah. Like this is normal. Until it gets right. ch- until until the rough water comes. Right. Or or it's like or it's you know, think about how much more I would be drowning if I didn't have this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? right? Like like right. I'd really be drowning if I but then but then something someone who's actually drowning comes in and asks for help. And the first thing you see on someone's face is panic. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I'm barely keeping my head above water. Right. And this person who's really drowning just came and asked me for help. Like, right. And I instantly recognize if I help that person, I will drown too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll give them nice words and I'll tell them that our system does work and try and convince them. Bake them a casserole. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, thoughts and prayers. I'll pray for you. Uh, yeah. Uh, the greatest... Uh, Conversation ender of all time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or God told me. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you what God told me one night. In a, that's that's good. Though. I agree with that. That's and, really good, man. And, and, I think and that, that, that that's what made Christianity feel so weak, impotent, and untrue was that you talk about how powerful God is, how great salvation is, how it transforms your life. Right. But when I look around, everybody's on the people can terms. barely take care of themselves, much right. less anyone else. And if, right. if that can't be real, right? It, 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 Either it is real, and you're just simply wrong about how great it is, and it's just kind of mediocre. Yep. Um, yeah. Or it's just not real. So I love one of Einstein's sayings is the formulation of a problem is often more important than its solution. And that's an example of, like, we're formulating the problem in a way that's not real. You know, it's like like we're, we're supposed to be having this victorious life. Well, what if that isn't the actual thing we're supposed to be about? What if yeah, we're supposed exactly. to be about being transparent, you know? And being honest and being authentic yeah. and being Light. And tr- staying with people when they're suffering being and present. trying not to freak out, you know. Being you present, know, what yeah. if it's what if it, that was our discipleship was that like I'm going to work at being that kind of person rather than like appear to be something that I'm not. Yeah. So uh, you know, we, we, we've inherited this, right? This is what we've inherited. That's why we're sitting yeah. here talking about this. Our whole lives are wrapped up in trying to understand this thing that was you know they invested in us and we invested in it and like you know I'm I'm you know I've got 20 years left maybe at the outside and it's like you know you you start thinking more seriously the benefit that advantage I have over a lot of people is I'm going to be dead sooner than they are <laughs> and so I don't give a shit what they think because yeah, right. not only that I can't first of all they're not caring what I think second part is I don't have time to think about 
what somebody thinks of me. And I have to make up my mind about, okay, what am I going to do with this limited amount of time? I don't have 10 years to burn anymore. I just don't have to, oh, I think I'll try this. Fuck that. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go do this thing or these things and try those things because... So why do you still point, have to do something? Or like, what, what, what keeps you here? Great question because I'm wired to go... I run three businesses right now. Okay. okay. And so I'm... I, the, the, the honest answer is I don't... I, there's not some noble reason. I'm just wired this way. I would be... If I was in music, I'd probably be in three bands. I'd probably be producing bands. I'd probably be in a band. I'd probably be traveling. It's just me. I don't know. Yeah, it's entrepreneurial. Sure. Yeah, and it's yeah, like true. it's me. I, if I was in an, if I was a painter and artist, I'd have three, four projects going simultaneously. And you go, oh, that's what artists do, right? But when you're in the idea business, you're supposed to have one big idea. It's like, well, I have three, you know, and they're competing with each other. And I'm so that's, but, but that's why, why. Why the Jesus thing? Why the evangelical church yeah. thing? Like, what keeps you in areas of influence there? So, yeah, sure. Continuing in that direction, I think one of the things. That we a question that we bring up a lot in here is why do you want to believe that? Yeah. Not why do you believe yeah, that, but right. why do you want? How to does the really function? How does it serve you? So what, the biggest favor that ever happened to me is that I fell into a relationship with atheists who asked these questions. And once you get past the fighting, where you're trying to belittle each other and all that, <laughs> and you get win. down to like, oh, I like, I like you. Then that question is way more interesting yeah, to hear from somebody like, okay, no, seriously, tell yeah. me. Like I'm in a very close friendship with atheists that are warm, that are genuine, going on for a decade. Nobody's changed or why they believe. And we will have, they'll, they'll just, you know, it's such an honor when a person who completely profoundly disagrees with you says to you, explain to me, no, seriously, you're my friend, help me understand, because it's just a mystery to me. Yeah. Like, that's an honor to me, that a person would ask that question, you know. So my first experience with this was when I did this book with the atheists and so on. And literally, I fell into it because I'm completely uninterested in atheism. You know, <laughs> I'm just disinterested. I'm not, an, I'm not, I'm not an apologist. I don't yeah, care yeah. about arguing. It's like, I'm too lazy. You know, I just don't <laughs> want to read all that shit. And so, but I like people. And so if you happen to be an atheist and you're a person, it's like, oh, this might be interesting. So, you know, I got in front of a group of atheists in, in college and they want to know, well, why you're into this? And. And I said, well, you know, first of all, you don't have to ask me that question. You know, you don't, you don't, don't be polite. Yeah. Don't, don't say this shit to me. It's just like, you know, no, seriously. And I said, well, I, you know, I've, you know, I can't, the, one of the biggest favors that atheists did to me is getting over the idea that I have to prove something. Yeah. You know, like somebody, they would ask me, you know, you say Jesus is really real. Like I talk like I'm just down with this Jesus thing, right? I mean, right. like, and so they said, well, if he's that real, is he as real as his table? You know, and they said, so now you're in a friendship. You're not bullshitting people. Like, no, actually, I can't prove that Jesus is real. <laughs> yeah. So, so then what's what's left after that? Well, apparently, it doesn't matter to me because I'm still choosing to believe in Jesus, regardless of that he's not as real as this table, or real in the way this table is real. Okay. Right. That sounds like actual faith instead of just exactly. Yeah, so yeah, you got to yeah, go absolutely. there. Like and I understand that's what, physics, so I know this chair isn't going to fall down on me. <laughs> right. I believe it's going to hold me up, but that yeah. belief is based in an understanding of physics. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I an objectivity. There's, there's alternate realities yeah. that people people believe in UFOs. People, sure. I could. So I. So there's the, but it's very important to me if you're going to have friendships with people that are authentic, you can honestly answer their question, you know, in, in some some way that's respectful. Yeah. You know, like this is my best answer I've got for you. I'm not bullshitting you, yeah. and I admit that. And I love saying to people like, I can't prove any of this, so you might be right. I could be wrong. We'll be dead in a while, and we'll figure it out. You know. Right. But that's when relationship building. That's exactly. a connection building. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we're all going to be dead, and some people, nothing will happen. Something will happen. Who knows? We're, we're going to be finding out in a while. So until then, why don't we? What can we do together that would be interesting? 
since we both don't know what else to do except argue. So my thing with Jesus is very simple. Um, I value freedom. I clearly have devoted my life. Uh, I work my ass off doing several businesses while I do this thing we're talking about here mostly for free. You know, this whole ministry thing has been mostly my life has been like for Don't free. Don't ever call this a ministry. <laughs> well, exactly. So, <laughs> or a small group. <laughs> Sorry, I word. Trigger word. Trigger, 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 trigger. Sex. Oh, we're good with that. Ministry. Yeah, no, right. Sex group. Okay. <laughs> so, I, uh, so I've had to, uh, I clearly, and the other reason I don't, didn't want to be a pastor because I don't like people telling me what to think. And it's evident that when you get the social contract is for most pastors is, you know, I preach, you pay me, you go away, uh, you criticize me, I criticize you, then we come back together and do it again next week, and then I call you lazy behind your back, and you call me whatever, misled, something. <laughs> so we have this whole dance we do, but the, the money exchange becomes critical to that. Right. You want to make a living at it, or make uh, pretend to make a living. <laughs> Uh, you got to do this thing. That wasn't interesting to me. And so I just kept working, kept doing a painting business and just hustling and doing what I had to do to make money. But that's because... You were in the uh, denomination. <laughs> I believe that... Better pastors make plenty of money. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Actually, yeah, I had to do a lot of my friends. The, the uh, Jesus to me... Uh, you know, is the freest person who ever lived. Yeah. Like I, I, here's here's one of the things I mean by that. So I, I don't believe in Jesus because he's going to save me from hell or I'm going to go to heaven. I don't know what to think about those things. Right. But I'm not sitting around thinking about it. Right. I'm thinking about life yeah. right now. How can I live as a free person? Yeah. And I want to be free. I, in other words, free means I can sit with you. We can what I call stay in the room with difference. You know, I don't have to get like Edwin Friedman who wrote a failure of nerve, which is says, which is to me the Bible of leadership is to say that the chief job of of being a person is to define yourself and stay connected. Okay, so I'm going to be me, but I'm going to stay connected with somebody who disagrees with me. It's a lot of work, yeah. but that sounds like a discipline to me. It is a discipline, and so you know, because normally I just want to be with people who agree with me. I don't want to be with people who don't agree with me. But if I'm not with people who don't agree with me, how am I going to grow? And what if I'm wrong? Right? How am I going to find out if I'm wrong? And so um, if I'm an honest person, then freedom means I get to work. I get to say this is who I am. But that isn't all of life. Life has also, there's others. It's not just me. There's a we. And so our whole thing is how do I put those things together? And when I look at Jesus' life, it's very attractive to me because, because I mean, Okay, I'm not going to do a critique on Jesus right now, but I understand there's ways to angle in on this intellectually. But let me just go with my thing right now for a minute. And that is that I imagine, like, what it would be like to be God and then find yourself, you know, on this planet. And then let's, for a moment, suspend, since we don't know how much Jesus knew or didn't know, let's just say... You know, he knew some stuff sometimes, like, this is fine. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, what am I doing here? He had moments like that, but I can't think about that. You know, I don't know what they, how God does that stuff. Anyway, uh, this, the tension that would be there to be with human beings, you know, just to be, for God to spend any time with human beings, it could be disrupting and disorienting, you know. And yet you find him living among people and then entering into it. So the unique part about, the part that's missing in what we call the gospel is that, is that the atonement has replaced the incarnation as a centerpiece that's right. of what we're about. And so this is what's principally wrong, why we're sitting at this table and we're going to die this way. This is not going to change in our lifetime. But what's principally wrong is that we inherited a system that made the cross a transaction yep. and we go like, it's, I'm in, and I'm, forget my motives. 
my motives are impure. Like I want to, I don't want to go to hell. You know, so people actually say that shit. Like you accept Jesus to not go to hell. Like what is that? <laughs> you know, like you fire insurance. I mean, we know <laughs> no, what it that, is. That was the gospel of the Ex- early America. Was exactly. Go to hell. Exactly. Or be with Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. And so. I like I don't look at Jesus that way. Jesus to me is unrelated to religion. Now you have to understand the other thing is I become a religious atheist. So uh, no no offense to anyone who's into religion, but I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in any religions. I think that they're constructs people have come up with to reassure ourselves. Yeah. Right? Okay, great, I get it. Just to fucking admit it. You know? <laughs> you know, don't say God told me, just say I'm telling God what I think of him. Yeah. You know, Buddhists, Hindus, everybody, every fucking religion to me is just a way to get through life. Right? Yeah. So this is incredibly heretical, particularly for Christians here. But, <laughs> well, we don't do heresy but, here. Again, I can tell. So I don't, I don't get uncovered. So Jesus, for me, sits outside of religion. He's, yeah. he's ontologically Absolutely. the center of reality. Yeah. You know, it's like, my, and he's incarnated. So this God has come, this triune God has come into life and entered into our experience. And this is what I call good news without yeah. telling people it's good news. Yeah. Like you get it. I don't think, oh, that's good news, by the way. You know, it's like, no, that would be awesome. What if God actually was that way now again you know I could be completely wrong sure. but if if I understand the unique centerpiece of what God was claiming in Jesus it's this thing this is what separates him from other gods in the marketplace everybody else because no self-respecting God would identify with humanity in the way that Jesus did because it would besmirch his reputation or her reputation uh, and so the fact so I'm basically making a bet you know, on this, it's just nothing but a bet yeah. that this is a true story because I'd like it to be true. In other words, if it isn't true, I'm willing to dedicate my life to this because I'd like it to be true. And I'd rather die, you know, believing, not in the whole hell thing. I won't die for that. I won't die for heaven. I won't die for the church. I won't die for the Bible. I won't die for Christianity. I won't die for any fucking religion. But, but I'm really interested in this idea of humanity, you know, being a, that they, what if God actually was like us and understood could sit at this table and not go oh my god or myself you know I can't believe you're talking this (laughs) way that would be okay and and, and you're not losing anything say on the Buddhist or Hindu side if you spend this life yeah that's true exactly (laughs) so so anyway that's why I choose to keep going so Jesus was so free he only made it 33 years before they so it's interesting. Yeah, that's killed him being so free. Here's another that's thought that good, nobody man. brings up, and that Jesus. So imagine this is out of Robert Capon's book, by the way. This is a complete steal. Robert Ferrar Capon. He's an Episcopal priest. He's dead. He's married five times. He's a complete fuck up, but a beautiful guy. Right. <laughs> he, we love those he, guys. That's how exactly. Like here. Welcome to so he he <laughs> writes these very intricate theological treatises about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit sitting in heaven, planning. We're going to go to Earth, and this is in Galatians two in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son and blah, 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 right? Galatians 4. So oh, they're sitting around, they're having a drink because he liked to drink. He said, <clears throat> saying, hey, I got an idea. You know, um, Father turns to this, uh, the Holy Spirit and says, I got an idea. You know, why don't we uh, send, why don't one of us go there and do something, you know? And, and they're just laughing. They're just, they're just drunk. They're just drinking like, that's funny. And the Holy Spirit says, and then I got an even better idea. Why don't you just show up as a baby? And then Jesus falls out of his chair because he just can't believe it. It's like, this is, he's falling laughing, right? He gets up and says, okay, fine. This is the plan. I'm going to show up as a baby. Nobody will see me coming, clearly, right? <laughs> and so for 30 years, he spends fucking doing nothing. Okay, this was the plan. Yeah. 33 years, and let's, let, let, let's take 30 years of doing nothing. Like, I, I, I can't understand why this is not preached 
all the time because there's this like blank space. It's not you have to read fiction in order to figure out what was going on. They made furniture, Jim. Exactly. So you have <laughs> Jesus and Joseph, and they have this thing. So you have the child evangelist phase, and you have the Christmas. You have the Christmas story and the Easter story. All that's got to go down, right? So he ends up spending three and a half years actually being busy, and then he's inconsistent, right? Spends a lot. <laughs> he's an incredible amount of time walking around. For example, right. incredible. Doesn't go to Persia or Egypt where all these people are going to hell, right? Clearly, <laughs> and they were just they knew this place existed in those times. Seems unanxious about well, it. Yeah, they didn't even have the Jewish covenants, right? And so they they just seem <laughs> unanxious, right? So this is what attracts me to Jesus. Like what was going on? So that means I could spend ninety percent of my life feeling like I'm doing nothing. Right? And God actually could identify with that feeling. Yeah, that's probably right. Hey, we, we can start a whole denomination on that, by the way. Yeah, where sure. You go, you, need you, to can back become, church. you can only become a pastor when you're 30. You're out by 33. Totally. You can you, be you awesome. burn you out. You're going to do three years. In those three years, you're going to work it's your ass off. The, it's like the Mormons do. We should do what they do. And Two then, years in, you're out. Uh, Alan Watts has a. So I've been doing a lot of listening to Alan Watts. Okay. Um, he has this great thing about how, you know, what's the most important law, right? Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh, and he said that's a beautiful law because that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> why do you want to love God? You kind of want to love God because God's got a lot of power and mm-hmm. he's got access to heaven mm-hmm. and, and you know, he does beautiful things. It's like... Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of selfish. Mm-hmm. Like, like that sounds like you just kind of want to, you know, you kind of pan. Like, that's not love. That's pandering. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's you, and it's like, okay, so we're gonna figure out a way around that, and I'm gonna get myself to a spot where I can focus on the other things, uh, and then I'll figure out a love God. Okay, why do you want to do that? Yeah. It's the same reason because you're pandering. So it, yeah. it's so when you get to this point, you can't love. God, maybe like maybe like one or two percent, but most of it ultimately comes down. You're trying to pander to God, interesting, because uh, be, be, because that's just deep human, ugly, selfish nature of. And does that resonate with you? Yes and no. I think he's off a bit on that. I, think I mean, for your personal experience. Um, yeah, I can definitely see a lot of that. I, I tend not to be like, yes, I believe that hundred percent, or no, I don't believe that hundred percent. There's some nuance, but I definitely see roots of that in every aspect. Sure, that, that's pretty Calvinist, that. though. Like you can't do anything. Yeah. Well, I can't say I'm not again. I'm not saying I can't do everything. I'm just saying that all of my desires have a bit of taint in them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, the, the Calvinist model goes so far as not even a bit. It just right. is total. Like ev- everything, so, everything good you do, God did it. So I'm not you. totally depraved. I'm like forty percent so depraved. Like, nice. You're, you're not forty percent depraved. <laughs> I think there's a market for that. <laughs> like 40, 40 to sixty percent, depending on the day. This week, sixty percent off. So my my faith story is that I did the whole deconstruct thing about in my thirties, you know. So we, I hit about thirty, I don't know, thirty three, <laughs> something like that, and I started to uh, to question this whole thing, and a lot of it had to do with my my unwanted behaviors not going away. So I just I figured somewhere along the way that this whole God thing was bullshit or religion thing, and I and I exited, you know. So my daughter went to Christian school and you know private school, and we brought her up with that. And then I, my son, about the time my son came along was when this happened, and we he had never been to church. So it wasn't until um, I I was really struggling with. Uh, 
thoughts of suicide. Um, my my behavior is going to the place where I was going to get caught eventually, and I'd rather die than have that happen. So. I was going to make it look like an accident. You know, I had this thing planned out. And then the the interruption was, part of it was I was sitting there. Um, so I'm I'm just thoroughly addicted, like not being able to stop and mm-hmm. into really risky behavior. Mm-hmm. And I was about ready to end it. And I felt like something said, just give it one more day, you know. And I did. And then I met Dan. Uh, a pastor because I couldn't afford a real counselor right. or, or right I couldn't I had no insurance to go see some mental health specialist so I went to my mom's church because this guy would talk to me and I was really surprised at those guys because I'd met with a few other pastors before that just told me to pray and read my Bible and get up early and you got to read your Bible and mm-hmm. those list of things to do those guys just listened mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. which was a lot different than what I'd experienced before. So I guess my faith construct today is more of like I'm in. I geek out on salt and light. Mm. Uh, John referred a book to me recently, the uh, um, by Pete Rollins, oh, who's a, a the philosopher. Heretic. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a Christian guy, but he's also yeah, I know philosophy. I mean, I don't know him, but I read right. Him. And, and, and not that I agree with everything he says, but he had some really great Actually, stories about us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like those guys, but I don't agree with well, them. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't even agree with myself. Exactly. But anyway, let's go right, forward. right. Well, well, the I'll idea, I like it. I don't agree, agree with everything he said. Yeah, yeah. But there was, there's that idea of of light that God is that that light that's in there that that I wanted to extinguish. That for me, my existential race got to this point where, like, who the fuck am I, and why should I even continue? to be a disappointment to everyone and I just had this really harsh narrative towards myself in my head and it was the I guess the gospel for me is realizing that God isn't God like that's not something Roland says that I, I, I resonate with um, God doesn't exist God is like this light in the room like electricity I thought that would be a funny way of, of describing mm-hmm. it like why should I pay my electric bill I've never fucking seen electricity. Mm-hmm. You know how do I know? How do I know it fucking exists? Mm-hmm. You send me a bill every month for this thing that I don't know exists. Like fuck you, I'm not paying PUD anymore. But that's that's kind of how God is to me now. Is that that light it, it illuminates everything that does exist, and that love is is that simple thing that we don't get because we're, we're fallen creatures. But that light, that love is that light. And to me, the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel, mm-hmm. is the story of, of love in, in human flesh. Mm-hmm. It's outside of objectivity. It's outside of um, putting it in a box or having a system or a, some kind of you know, set of rules that you must follow. You know, just loving people is, you get to where you can do that, and it's funny how the addictions start to shed like hair off a dog, you know? Mm-hmm. There's all these rules for addicts and 12-step groups, and you got to do these things, and if you do, then, you know, your addictions will go away. And that stuff works, short term, you know? But when you, when you learn how to, to love people and start to deal with doing stuff like this, you know, I, I've had more than one person that I've met that have said, yeah, I just didn't have to work so hard at it anymore. That addiction thing, or that behavior thing, or that depression. This recording is a collection of unintended indiscretions before microphone and camera. Man to man, smoke the Roy Tyson. 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 Man to man, smoke
offers you a wide choice of shapes and sizes to suit your taste. Whichever you choose, you'll enjoy the fine-tasting tobaccos that Roy Tan is famous for. Come on, I'll bring it up, boys. Man to man, smoke the Roy Tan. Ministry's a trigger word. Right. It really it is a trigger word. It so triggered, it triggered to, Arthur. I was talking yeah, about Arthur. Arthur. Right. Arthur's Don't call like, it what? that. So, like, are we so, talking about the band? We're talking about the band ministry. <laughs> I love that band. So I, uh, I wanted to... I'm friends with people who had traditional views of church and those who have no views of church and all that. So I want to bring people together for a day who are, in my opinion, doing what I call ministry. Ministry for me is a desire to serve my world in partnership with Jesus. That's my definition. So it's very simple. It's just I want to do something. So I have one of the people. I'm bringing, a friend of mine is a bishop and an Anglican bishop who's coming in. And, and he's, he basically plants churches, uh, does a movement called Churches for the Sake of Others. And history is a half million dollars a year in order to fund that. And I want people to hear that story. I wanted to hear about the price he pays to actually fund this thing that he's doing out of love. And because uh, he's not rich from it, he doesn't get the, you know, he's, that's not his game. Uh, I'm bringing another person that helped me plant churches. You don't plant churches alone, you get credit for it, you know, particularly if it's a success. And then, but there's always a group of people there helping you get this thing going. And uh, I have a friend, uh, Nancy Short, who has been involved in several church planning, uh, you know, endeavors that I've been involved in. And then eventually she got, you know, blown out of that whole scene and, and ended up going into uh, gardening and uh, showing people how to, how to grow food out of parking strips. And then... Uh, growing food for people that didn't have food, then eventually got noticed by the Shoreline School District, and now she's kind of like their gardening uh, trainer for elementary kids, which I think is an awesome idea. You know, now Nancy, I don't know if she'd express it this way, but I look at her as a genuine, uh, uh, genuine follower of Jesus, and what she does in her life, she does as an expression of that followership. And so I like to say Nancy went from church planning to plant churching. You know, so she uses plants now to actually express her her thing, right? Which is just a play on words. So, so the, the, basically, it's a gathering for people to be exposed to. I'm bringing in some some uh, people out of Salvation Army that I work with, and other in another business that I'm involved in, because uh, I've discovered that they are actually and they're anticipating the future of uh, church in many ways. Although their system is breaking down in some ways, uh, I'm bringing in a guy that uh, has planted. Uh, He's abandoned his church and started doing dinner churches. I don't know if you know this guy. And uh, he's... he's Who's he? Uh, Verlin Fosner. 
You know this guy? This guy's a breakout. This guy is a rock star. I mean, I, I listen. He was he was raised in an assembly of God scene. Basically, was successful. Realized it was dying. Decided to, to move out of his own building with what he had left. Said we're going to and studied the early church, the patristic, the early church fathers, and realized for the first three hundred years of church history, they never met unless it was around a table <laughs> like this, right? Yeah. So he said, "Why are we not doing that?" So then we turned it into a formal thing, communion and all that stuff. But he said, why aren't we forming churches around tables? So he, he said, there's 27 walking neighborhoods in Seattle. I'm going to plant one in every place. <clears throat> Figured out a way to support it and goes in. So when you do that every week consistently and you invite anybody in, so you have homeless people coming in, but they're coming in every week. So they stop being homeless people. They start being your friends and they start being people, right? right yeah. And so now you start to think of them as people. And then there's like, you know, 100 people showing up because there's this meal. There's no bait and switch. There's no ulterior uh, motive. No, there's no bait and switch. Yeah. He wants people to go to heaven. He wants people to know sure. Jesus, but sure. he's not like ramming it down their throats or something. You've got to take the Jesus pill now. Yeah, so <laughs> he's cool with all this, you know, for being a very traditional guy. He's so through a half-hour sermon. So he does this, he does this thing. He's got 10 of them started. Now it's going all over the United States. People are picking up in this model. He said, you can either, that can become your church, or you can keep Sunday morning going if you want, or he doesn't care. Um, and it's just a brilliant idea of a way to engage people who have lost their energy around their faith and just say let's go be with some actual people this is what he's doing next as a result of that he's met people who are homeless don't have a place and they're living on $1,400 a month which is this government stipend right and he says these people can't afford definitely pay more than $500 a month so he's decided to take his church parking lot and put up uh, uh, shipping containers and form them and building units and then finish them so they look like houses and and then and never charge more than 500 bucks a month and he's already pre-screened everybody because he's at dinner with these people you know oh you never raise the rent it's not a government thing they just put up these they're going to start taking over churches that are dying and putting up these things what's wrong with this idea What's wrong with this idea? Even atheists would be behind this, right? It's like, go. You know? <laughs> tax, so like, you always yeah. pay tax on that property? Let's and, do and something. So, yeah. And so the, uh, these delightful ideas that people have, you know, that are energized by, by love and their, their, you know, uh, the way they understand their life with Jesus. So I'm bringing that together. And then I want to do, so we're going to do about 20 people. We're going to do some quick rounds of people to tell their stories. And then we minimize the public part so you only talk you know, very short, so people get enough to know what your thing is. So I want, okay, I want to go talk to you about this thing. And then we break out. So there's four of us, and, and then I go with you for about a half an hour and talk more. Because that's what people want to do is get the one-on-one or the small group thing, right? Right. So we do about four of those things. And then we do, uh, there's, uh, then at night I'm doing a, I started to sing, uh, again, this goes back to the whole issue of reactivity and difference, like, uh, I started this thing called Three Practice Groups. I've been working on this thing for about 15 years about what are the what are the practices of people that are not afraid? You know, they're not, they don't run away when they, oh my God, you voted for Trump or, or you voted for Obama or whatever it is that's bugging somebody at the moment. Who knows? You yeah, know, or religion. Or, and I've been to a couple of these groups and I yeah, think that this that's is a really great yeah. exercise. Yeah. I found it like, like, like being the gym for me yeah. because there's something in me that wants to react. Oh, totally. I can feel my ego rising up going, like I've got to, but, but you kind of referee it in, let's totally. come up with right. really uh, clarifying questions. Right. You're pulling from that person. Yeah. So the three practices yeah. are uh, of people that are successful doing what I call crossing the difference divide are they're, they're unusually interested in others. 
like like you're being to me right now. You're giving me your time and attention, right? I feel like I'm really important because I'm talking, blah blah blah. You know, <laughs> and it's very very drug like, of course. You know, when we're talking. And then the second one is they stay in the room with difference. They don't run away. You voted for the wrong person. I'm not going to run away now. Um, and the third one is I'll stop comparing my best with your worst. Mm, those, are the, those are the three practices. That was directly from my friend Brian McLaren, oh, by the way. Good. And so uh, so we, um, we form groups around that. So I'm going to do a group that night, a public group, and let people see what this looks like. Because this is what this other production I'm doing called No Joke is we're traveling, doing shows in universities, basically uh, showing people what the three practices look like so they can put them into practice themselves. Because our country right now is pregnant with anxiety over difference, just pregnant. Sure. Oh, like, yeah. it's just awesome. The, the opportunity here is just unbelievable. And so... Uh, the last election is a great example. Yeah, I mean, so, like, this, that's where we live in. It's just, uh, it's just an awesome it's opportunity. It's air we breathe. So that's that's what I uh, that's what's happening there. Then my, my, my final bit is I, I've always wanted to talk about meaning and money uh, because there's something that's never addressed is like uh, in, in ministry, like how do you get your money to support this habit you have? You know, like I've chosen to work, you know, in order to support my need, my need to do this ministry thing, whatever you want to call it, and. Uh, so I'm free then. People can't control me. Apparently, it's very important to me. <laughs> so, so uh, as a result, I want to have a discussion about like you know because the, a lot of the thing in the ministry is you get paid you know to do this thing and then you have prestige. It's not they don't usually make enough money. Their wife, who's not allowed to talk in church, is usually supporting them. You know, and then they get to talk. And the whole prestige thing is the game. And uh, why is that worth it to you? Uh, and then I just want to explore it. So I, before I do that, though, I'm going to do an interview with three drummers because as a musician, what's what's basically in the ministry thing game, we've modeled ourselves after um, academics and professionals and lawyers. Yeah. And, and so, and what I want to propose is we should model ourselves after artists and musicians and guys that drive Uber. And we, this is this no, is we, more we, realistic. We like expert idolatry. Well, though. Well, that, that, goes, that goes back to. A, what John was talking about in certainty addiction is that we need the professional yeah. to yeah. to be like, okay, I know I've got it right because he said so. Yeah, and that's that, that gives me comfort. So yeah. if 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 you're playing like a garage band where you right. just get together and jam, I, I don't get any certainty from that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, no. and that that gets past those gates too. Those. Uh, you know, your your watchful dragons, as C.S. Lewis said. We yeah. all have these watchful dragons that, yeah. they, oh, you might, you know, get past my ideology and threaten my thing. But artists and, and yeah. like you're saying, yeah. people who write music, they, they sneak, sneak right in into there and, and yeah. deliver a, a message right. or a feeling right. that's more powerful than the dude teaching some shit. Well, because people do what they feel, not what they think. It doesn't matter. You know, yeah. ultimately, we, oh, we, we, we revise history, so it looks like we thought so about not it. to feed the question or to feed the commercial but or October 12th yeah October 12th at a place called the Ballard Homestead it's this funky little place it used to be the original Philadelphia church which is very funny and <laughs> it's, uh, got some history it's, too. it's from 10 to 10 and it's basically an intensive uh, it's 49 bucks and we're going to be there all day and uh, we're going to just be doing an all day hackathon on our ideas and uh presenting different people, you know, that are doing this work. So it's a, it's at hacktheministry.com. That's where the information okay. is. And uh, it's I, it, this is really is just a labor of love for me because I've always been trying to find an excuse to get my friends together. So, like, every, people come here 
they're not charging me. They're flying on their own money to get here. You know, I mean, because it's just we're just cobbling this thing together. And so, so that's what we do here. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Let's get friends together and talk. Yeah. So that's that's what's happening. Do you, that deal. Do you find that? I, I just as you're describing it, my assumption, and forgive me if it's wrong, but it doesn't seem to me that conservative Trump supporting people would really gravitate. Well, you'd be surprised because one of the benefits of being in the in the evangelical game is that you find Trump supporting people. In fact, I'm bringing specifically to the three practice group that night. I'm recruiting some of my Trump supporting friends to be in there. I'm, I have to invite them specifically to come because it wouldn't feel like safe territory to them would be with a because I'm over. I'm sure I'm a socialist basically. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, I uh, like this guy. So so no, I mean, basically, I haven't thought about it enough. But anyway, no, I, get I, you, I could I get start you. there and I, probably I, no, end up there. So I uh, I'm, I'm, I invited a couple of Muslim friends cool. that are leaders well known in the Seattle area and and to sit in the group. Uh, because what I do is we evoke difference in the group. Like the, the question, there's one question, like, are you excited about what the president's up to now, or are you not excited? We can just start with that. So is it mostly political, theological? It, it, it'll be political because that's all that matters okay. now. You know, everything. Even if you start talking theological, it'll migrate to politics now uh, because uh, people are so anxious about it. Sure. You know, and so basically, what I do is I say, okay, uh, this is the one question you can answer. We're not going to talk about anything else. So and. And think of this as a game. I'm the referee, and uh, and I have the clock, and you're going to you get three minutes to you talk. Get three minutes. You get yeah. three minutes, and nobody's going to roll their eyes or say, "Oh my God, I can't." They're going to think this, of course. <laughs> They're going to think these thoughts. Right. Just like, I just did. Just like, <laughs> you're thinking, oh my God, oh my God, the, oh my God's going to be a big thing, you know, here and whatever. And yeah. so, if God was here, you say, "Oh myself," right? Oh, I can't believe you said that. Oh, yeah. And so, no, I'd say, "Oh so, fuck, yeah, oh my fucking self." I'm back so, here again. Damn it, myself. Damn it. So yes, you ostensibly <laughs> this vehicle is designed so you can talk about one percent, ninety nine percent. Gay, straight, blue, red. Uh, you could talk about Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. You could. This it's designed to facilitate the conversation nobody's able to have. And I say, okay. So, the, but this is the only question we have. You know, you can respond to. What is it about what President Trump is doing that just you're just so excited about? And I will have people in that group will just like they'll turn on like a switch like that and tell you exactly what it is, just like that. And and because they know they know me and they know I actually mean it. Like you get to talk now, nobody's going to roll their eyes. I'm the referee, and I'll call technical foul on people if they do that, right? <laughs> and so, and so, uh, but at the end, you get three minutes, so you know, go, you know. <laughs> and then we just I just sit here and hold this clock in front of them, and they talk, and they're completely uninterrupted. And you would be amazed at what happens when a person truly feels temporarily not judged. Yeah. You know, temporarily not judged. You suspend judgment, and you you, you do your very best. Now it's, we're, we're fake. We're pretending to not be judgmental, but but that's okay. That's better than the actual alternative of yelling at each other. Right. Okay. And so the clock's ticking, and you're riffing about why the president's so good, and why you're so excited about the immigration. I hope he builds a wall. I have people at the group that say, "I hope the president builds a wall. If he doesn't, I'm going to make sure he doesn't get elected again." I have people in the group that'll say that. Okay. And so. Um, um, there'll be all sorts of, and the group, the, the whole an, the energy in the room is going to go up, and they're going to be anxious. Like, can he really say that? And and what's Jim going to do? And all that's going to be happening, right? And so, a lot of times, when the person's not interrupted, they'll be done like it by they'll be done in like a, a minute or two minutes. 
because they ran out of stuff. They just ran out of stuff. <laughs> they got to say everything they want to say. I said, is there anything else you want to say? You got a minute and 53, you know. How many people? So I did, the group could be this small. It could be 20 people. I've had 30 people in a group. Yeah, that one. I've had 30 people in a group. Yeah. So not everybody participates, right? Because the group is sort of self-governing because mm-hmm. it's sort of a, it's kind of, I don't use the word sacred, but once everybody starts abiding by the rules, you realize I can't just fuck around here, you know. This is for real. Right. So you get your time and we say, okay, fine. Okay, now here's the deal. Um, for example, I've role-played before. I said, okay, there's no conservatives here because in Seattle, they're afraid to come out. And so I said, I know exactly how my conservatives feel. You know, I think what's wrong with immigration? You know, uh, we've got it. These people have got to stop coming in. I can't believe anybody would not agree with that. I mean, this is America. Let's put up a wall. Maybe it's symbolic. You know, I'm all for the president doing that. I just keep rolling like that until you just like, fuck, I can't believe this person said that. You right. know? Or whatever. Maybe you like it. I don't know. Right. I, mean, I would be going off inside my head, you know. But I know how to talk like those people now because I'm close enough to them. And then I say, okay, okay, what's next now is I want us to ask that person, your ideological opponent, you know, uh, a, a clarifying question or an open question and here's what it's not I can't believe you said that <laughs> okay that's what you feel like saying and you want to say because of a thoughtful person of course would not take that position do you realize the inconsistencies in your argument no that's not a clarifying question is that thing you said about the wall that was really fascinating to me you know could you tell me more about that why is that important to you that's a clarifying question. Right. You, in other words, it's like what I call outreach judo. You use the person's judo. momentum to flip them. Because you just quit doing this. You go, come and give me more of that. And so you invite your ideological opponent to actually tell you more about the thing you find disgusting. And get underneath it. Yeah. And, and what's happening then is Move that the you, you're no longer trying to get here. You've given up. We've abandoned discussion, debate, agreement. We've just abandoned it. We would say fucking human beings are not capable of that. That's a, <laughs> that's a fallacy. You know? So we don't, we're not going down the road. We don't have time. And you, we're going to connect right here. Mm-hmm. Right, and I and suddenly you become a person to me because I a lot of times will say that in a lot of our lives there's a personal story right. behind that. What's your story, right? And now again, remember we're on a clock here. So I asking the question I asked you, uh, I give people twenty seconds to find the question. So that stops them from preaching, right? I give you 20 seconds. But you. this is the hardest part of the group, is learning how to ask a clarifying question. Because emotionally, <laughs> yeah, you're just playing, jacked yeah. up, uh-huh. right? And you just want to, this is that thing about define yourself and stay connected. And so I, so I want to train people, show people how you can do that so you can ask the person and then sit with them when they're, when they're rolling you over, right? And, and so that person gets a minute to answer them. Okay? You get a minute. You don't get like unending time. So I keep the clock going. I say I'm a referee. This is like a basketball game. No points are given for doing trick shots in the bleachers. <laughs> you know, awesome shot, but didn't count. You know, and so then we just keep people, we keep the group going as long as their energy, and people take different positions. So that, we kind of let that let go. We just let it roll until there's, until people are, both sides have been represented. And there's a, you can start to feel the warmth. Oh, really? Yeah. You start to feel the connection. Because you're getting to the question of, you know, what are you afraid of? Yes. It's like the big question. Right. So what we find then is you start to. humanize the other. Exactly. I think that's the real. That's it. That's the game. The game is you stop demonizing this person. I can no longer put you in a category. I have now become friends with people I could not disagree with more. You know, because I, I, they've earned my respect. I've watched them 
I've watched it's like it's like being on a team and the person's playing against you I'm like fuck that was an awesome shot <laughs> you know like I'm going to try and beat you but that was an awesome shot t- totally and you start to like appreciate the skill that it takes to actually stay connected and grow in your understanding because I'm really interested in something called co-belligeration which is where we temporarily suspend judgment uh, and uh, about the things we disagree about find a thing we agree about so three practice groups allows us to form another subgroup of people that have learned the skill of sitting with each other. And then we take that skill out and we apply it in our own personal relationships. We end the group with, uh, uh, say, I want you to thank somebody. You know, say thank you to somebody somebody. that that you either, because you agreed with them or didn't agree with them. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Or tell us what you got out of this thing tonight. So I'll just give you one thing and I'll stop. The very first group, this woman... uh, we had about 20 people, and she was a school teacher from Bellevue, and very, you know, very straightforward, traditional kind of woman. That, but turned out she supported Trump, you know, and uh, and but very not like raging. I'm done. Yeah, you know, yeah. This is right after the whole. She I'm was in grab, the closet. Yeah, the like I'm gonna grab your pussy. I mean, all that yeah. stuff has been said. And I yeah, think yeah. you don't look like the kind of woman to be down with that. Anyway, so she's. So she says, because, we, you know, we, America has gotten away from its roots, I come from a small town, I'm afraid, so on and so forth. Okay, she gets done. And I said to her, my clarifying question to her was, uh, could you help me understand how you explain the president's behavior toward women to your three sons? She mentioned you had three sons. That was my question. Okay, honest question. It yeah. wasn't a trick question. Yeah. I genuinely was baffled. Like, how, how would you explain this? You're a woman and you're, you're yeah. three sons. I actually asked that question on my Facebook feed. Yeah, if this man gets elected, this was before he was elected. Yeah, how do I explain yes to my two daughters, yes. nine and eleven, yeah, that the president of the United States right said this. said this on a recording that we've all heard. How did he get elected? It's not hard to believe. How do okay. I explain that he got elected? Some bully wanted to put his pussy grabbers on. <laughs> so she says she looks at the whole group quietly says all men are like that. Oh, wow. right. Yeah. Now this is when the group. Shows its oh, wow. colors. The group is this yeah. group actually that got its game together? Are we going to freak out? I was the group is so good, man. Was there like, like a gas? Oh yeah, yeah. well like they're inside our heads. <laughs> you know, you can like, feel it. And her husband sitting, man. her husband <laughs> sitting next to her when she says this, right? Her husband. I'm thinking, what a fucking wimp you are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm thinking. And so uh, I was just she amazed, and she was very straightforward. So we go through the group, right? We get to the thank you That's part. Honest. And she That's says, honest we get yeah, done at the end of the group. What do you, anybody want to say thank you? She, she turns the whole group. She says, the same woman yeah. says, I want to thank everybody here because I've never been in a group before where I felt heard. She's 65. Aww. She's 65 years old. Aww. See that feeling you're having? That's, that's sweet. That's understanding, They're right? Sweet. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's what we get. We get to that feeling, right? She's human. She's, she's wrong. She's wrong. I'm kidding. Must have had to be like me. I'm wrong and I'm human. But she's sweet. It's sweet. She's sweet. See what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I clarify. Clarify for you then. What I what I what I want to know for you is why does your definition of ministry end in a prepositional phrase with Jesus? Because because I have no. You may not appreciate like this answer, but because. Because Jesus is the center of all reality for me. I don't separate what I'm doing apart from him. In other words, functionally, ontologically, forget about religion here. I know it's, you got to separate. I don't, I, I don't care about Christianity, the Bible, or the church. I don't care about those things. They just are, they happen to be along for the ride. Jesus, to me, is very interesting the way gravity is interesting. And so I don't separate my meaning and making in life apart from Jesus because 
I want to I want people to know that there's a God, you know, and I may not get the chance to tell you this, but I'd be happy to, you know, but what's coming out of this for me is like to have to have integrity as a human being. I have to own the fact that I truly believe that there's a God who likes human beings, you know, and I want to express that. And it flows out of that. I, I wouldn't have shit to do without Jesus. I just wouldn't be, life would be so fucking boring to me. So I guess the reason I anyway. ask the question is, it taints the works meaning. To you? No, to anyone who you invite. Like, like let's say you were starting a ministry. By yeah. that definition, whatever the hell it was. Yeah, sure. Maybe it's just feeding right. the poor. Pouring every night. out for people. Yes, right. right. Every night. Okay. The by attaching, I'm going to feed the poor with Jesus. Yes. Everybody involved needs to be involved on that bandwagon. No, because because well, but you're alienating the people who don't agree with that. They by, can do by, it with me. They, they could. They could. You're right. They could. Many do. But they'd have to get past that to do they that. They might have. Where to. you could you could have that as your definition. Yeah. But not as your public definition. Because you could say, you know what, the work itself is good and Jesus is happy. Right. No matter who's involved, but by doing that you automatically alienate people from being but involved. Are you, you don't are you using, okay, so, so, so so this gets to my thing about define yourself and stay connected, okay? This is a critical axiom for me. And I, I like owning things very clearly. So I think it's unreal when we don't own that. I think it's dishonest. That, that I do. I think it's dishonest for us not to own that, that we're constantly negotiating those things. And so I want to be a, I want to be a, a live human being. So it would be inconsistent for me to be private and not public. I, I'm fascinated by public spirituality. I love living my life in public, okay? Because I love this conversation. Sure. Because it makes me think, fucking, that's a good point. Because I have to think about it now, right? Is that real? I've already thought about this point numerous times. So, so I the way that I hold myself in that is, I will if if I am participating in things people are doing. I work with a Jew, a Muslim, and a born again evangelical in another production that I'm doing. Uh, I, I look at this in my mind as the work of Jesus. Okay, in my mind. That's not a discussion I ever have with them. I have, a discuss- I have that discussion with the evangelical, but it's not something I impose on the Jew or the, the imam. I just admire them, what they're doing. I admire the work they're doing. I don't impose on them, well, it makes me... I mean, if we're sitting around having a drink and laughing about it, I might, you know, but they could say, well, I don't, you know, I don't believe it's real. Uh, so so, so, I, so for I, me, it's important to be consistent if I'm leading something to tell people what, what's in it for me. And I'm, and I'm fine with that. What I don't understand is why ministry needs to be branded that way. And so let me go back to yeah, okay. what, what Derek was talking about um, earlier. So if you've got a ministry where, where you want to feed the poor yeah. and you either attach Jesus' name to it or you don't, yeah. if you feel led to do that because of your religious beliefs about Jesus, you could... Maybe do more if you didn't attach his name to it. Right. Okay. Because you could get more assistance. More of what am I trying to do more of? Feed the poor. Okay, fine. So so if, if that's the ministry's goal and you don't attach Jesus' name to it, you could do more maybe because uh, people who don't want to give money to a ministry with Jesus' name attached to it yeah. would give money. Maybe yeah. people who want to volunteer would be involved. And maybe people who come to you for assistance won't come because Jesus' name is attached to it. Yep. And here's the reason on all of those is that if, if you just wanted to feed the poor, the guy who comes to you for food 
because of the world we live in, thinks you're more interested in telling me about Jesus and giving me food is just an excuse to do that. You don't really love me. You right. just want to I tell see. me about Jesus because that's what you think so you the, need to you, do. Those things are, those things are uh, countered in your mind and your framework. They're, they're, they're opposites. In my mind, they're not opposites. They don't I don't think they're opposites. I just think, think that they're... I, I think that if you're focusing on the ministry... But you, the way you're using that word, it helps me understand... It has the meaning it has. I don't attach that kind of meaning to that word. It's a functional word. It's like just the word serving. Now, the fact that I'm, the fact that I am, my impetus is, is a desire to do that in partnership with Jesus. It's just a, a, just an ownership of how I define the word. It's like I saying gravity exists. The world's not flat. It's round to me. Yeah. Now, other people disagree with me about that. So, on the other hand, you would be hard pressed if you were working personally with me. Uh, the, the most of the time, the Jesus story is pulled out of me, you know, in anything that I'm doing. It's rarely, I rarely, I don't lead with it because it's uninteresting. It's just an uninteresting way to start, you know, because of all the reasons. Because I practice something I call non-manipulative intentionality. Yeah, which it's is not a bait and switch, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. boring. Non-manipulative intentionality means yes, I have a complete point of view. I'd like you to adopt it. Like this is a better beer. Use this glass. Drink that. Human beings are in. We're constantly selling each other. It's just, we're constantly trying to convert each other. It's just an inevitable thing we do. So, so to deny that is to deny reality. Again, I'm just I'm just in denial about it. No, I have a point of view. What will I? What I won't do is once I hold that point of view, I won't do. I'll get this close, and then I refuse to do anything that's going to coerce you to join that point of view. And because my, I'm not going to manipulate anything. You're going to know who I am, you know, and then you have to deal with it. Can I yeah. reiterate what I hear? Yes. <laughs> so it would be like the scenario of, you know, lots of the people that would be uh, coming to this would be under the impression that there's no such thing as a free lunch. So if you didn't have any hook associated from the outset, they would be looking for the hook. And then uh, if you, you know, did all this stuff for them and got involved and blah, 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 and they're still feeling anxious because they haven't found the hook yet, and then you mentioned that you're associated with Jesus, then all of a sudden they're like, well, fuck, like I knew there was a hook. <laughs> exactly. I was waiting for it the whole time. Yeah. There it is. I'm out. Right. Like, so the, so that, there's different programs I do. This, this one I'm doing, Hack the Mystery, is overtly Christian in that word, which is not a word I'd use. But for the sake of this group, I'll use it because it'll help speed things up. But it's overtly, this is about ministry, which is a problem inside of Christianity. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So it's an insight. The other projects I do, when I work with atheists and so on, that's not a thing that I talk about. You know, it's not a thing. I talk about our, I talk about difference. So when I work with the no joke guys, it's about difference. It's about how do you, the, the three practice group is a thing. And now whatever my view is, you know, my imaginary view of reality is that's how I'm moving forward with, the, with this project. And I enjoy having a point of view. I enjoy not being vague. I enjoy the fact that you like wanted to say, well, you know, I, I like the fact that I, I have enough clarity so that you have a thing to actually like look and go, like, why are you doing that? You know, so you don't have to like guess, like, is that a thing you're doing? So um, I want to live life free. I mean, I, I just, that's what I look at Jesus like. He was just very clear about who he was. And it's like, kind of like, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> and so I'm not uh, pretending to not have this thing. Now, I don't have an agenda. Like, I don't need you to follow Jesus in order to, like, do a thing with me. I won't be disappointed if you don't choose to do this thing. 
Uh, I, I constantly am working with people that are uninterested in Jesus. You know, to be honest with you, I really am. I, uh, it's my theology allows for I don't need you to like believe in Jesus in order to help me like work with Jesus. I don't need you to. I don't need it. Well, if you start from a place that we're human, and humans are, he's a Christian, you know, way of thinking about it, image bearers of God, then, I don't know, that creates some safety in that you identify with someone in their humanity before, and more than you would identify with someone in their, say, Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. And some some people would call themselves Christians or doing it from Jesus who are just fueling the machine. Yes. That's where my story is different than than Arthur's, because Arthur kind of grew up in that went to Bible college and that kind of thing. I, I didn't. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for right. God at all. And, and something invaded me. Right. And, and that's, I guess that's where I go with it. And right. I don't have an objective Jesus. Like, to say, that, to say that I'm doing it for Jesus, or once I mention the Jesus thing, then people roll their eyes and go, oh, I knew it. I don't know if my approach comes off like that with people. But it's interesting. It's an interesting question. I guess I can I can tease that out, but I don't I'm not here because I want anyone to take the Jesus pill. Like this is just my life. This is how this is why I do shit like this and I want to connect. I want people to 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 see light in, in life and to and to, you know, kind of radiate that out like a heater. And and I call it Jesus because that just made the most fucking sense. Because I have no rational explanation for why I'm why I'm here doing any of this. Right. I should be I don't know making pornography if I didn't die of a yeah, drug overdose. Brain, yeah. That would have been that would have been my that was the route I was thinking my about heading path. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> seriously, that was a dream. It was it was a weird you know I like but sex, I knew I like money hmm. yeah <laughs> I knew a bunch of prostitutes and they, they liked me someone and they, told me hey, do what I rich. love you, you listen to the startup podcast <laughs> if I podcast? can get paid to do it the startup, startup podcast I've listened to a few episodes yeah so they got, yeah, yeah. they did a thing about domains and the first domains were around porn mm-hmm. it's very inter- interesting the, the guys that made all That's incredible like amount of money yeah just incredible amount of money these guys figured out early on like ninety four ninety five oh, I'm gonna buy these domains and and those and the internet wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for exactly porn. <laughs> I mean to deliver all that video and stuff like they had to build the infrastructure right. and whitehouse.com yeah. <laughs> the, the porn industry is is uh, credited for the, the speed of the check internet out the, today. If you haven't seen it, look, check out the movie Middleman. Oh yeah, that's that kind of, that's, movie. That's exactly. a good movie. It's yeah. kind of about like the origins of the internet and Navy. What's it called? Middleman. Okay. Mid, uh, right. Middleman. Yeah. Middleman. Owen Wilson's I think the main guy. Right. It's a good movie. Yeah. I'll land the plane on this, and and I, I've talked about this before, but uh, Arthur bring up the Job story. I I've read the Job story. I've geeked out on the Job story. I went to a, a men's retreat thing that had to do with the Job story. And it, 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 it is very much like what we're doing here. And I think the sin that the Job character did is exactly what you're explaining. Because Job doesn't really own his shit personally. Like, it's all about what God's doing or not doing or should be doing. He, like, he doesn't, he doesn't take on, like, what, you, what was that word you said about yourself? Um, self, not self-actualization, but... Define yourself. Yeah, defining yourself and staying connected. connected. Like, Job doesn't really do that. (laughs) It takes a while for him to to understand his predicament or, you know, it's it's very, I don't want to use the word existential. That can be really intellectually geeky. But there's something to doing a podcast like this. Like, we're criticized 
by a lot of evangelicals out there. But if you read the Bible, that's what they're fucking doing, right? Don't say fucking, and then evangelicals will listen to you. <laughs> well, Jesus, in, in Matthew 5, that's another thing I like to bring up with, with a lot of Christians who have issues with swear words. It's like Jesus in Matthew 5 uses the word raka when he's explaining like murder. Like if you shouted raka, or if you shouted fuck you in traffic with a middle finger up, like, that's murder, basically, is what he was trying to say. Yeah. But that was an explicit word back then. I could have heard the Pharisees rolling their eyes. Oh, he said that word. We're going to put him on a cross. Okay, anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I interrupted you. <laughs> it's, oh, it's refreshing someone interrupting Russ. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I'm usually interrupting everyone else. Russ was landing the plane, but he crashed. Okay, <laughs> the, the, the landing gear are down. The, uh, the airport's coming up closer. You're yeah. 500 feet. But I, I, I thank <laughs> you. We circle around. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Jim. I appreciate you wow. and, and what you, you do. And, uh, thank you, Jim. Thank yeah, you it's, it's great to have you. To hack the ministry. Yeah. Hack yeah. the ministry. Yeah. It's awesome. There goes Jim Henderson and the boys from Punk Theology. That's October 12th. 2017, the Hack the Ministry event in Seattle, Washington, the Ballard area. Go to hacktheministry.com if you want to check that out. More information on that. And if you're still listening, hey, thanks for listening. Would you do us one step towards advancing the message of punk theology in the world? Would you would you do that? Leave a review of this podcast on Stitcher iTunes, TuneIn Radio. Man, that would be awesome. Until next week. Bye.